Okay, we'll go ahead and get started. We're going to be in uh, Acts chapter 2. This may not be a good start. I already opened up my Bible to the wrong place. I, I opened it up for second service instead of first. So hopefully my brain will catch up here in a minute and get it figured out. I wonder why it wasn't looking right on the page. That'd be the reason. Okay. So we'll go ahead and we'll be in Acts chapter number two. And before we get started, let's go ahead and we'll go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessings on the service. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings, Lord. We do thank you for the opportunity that we have here to be at church this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word that you've given us, Lord, that we can uh, get in it and learn from it, Lord, and that you can use it to uh, conform us to your image, Lord, that you can use it to transform our hearts, Lord. And Lord, I thank you that we can get into it and learn about you and understand more about you, Lord, and how it makes us look forward to uh, the day that we'll be with you, Lord. But I ask you, Lord, just to help us that we would uh, be a light and a witness here, Lord, that we would uh, be good representatives for you as long as we're here, Lord. And we just pray, ask you that you would uh, guide our service, Lord, help me as I teach, Lord, and direct my thoughts and my words. I pray, Lord, you be with uh, uh, Lydia as she's teaching there in the next room, Lord. And Lord, be with anyone who's still on their way out, just watch over them and help them, Lord. Those who are working and unable, unable to be with us, Lord, I pray your blessings on them. And Lord, just ask you, be with us as a church, Lord, that we could uh, grow together, Lord, that we could uh, shine out and broaden this community, Lord, to be a light and a witness for you. And we thank you so much for all you do. In Jesus' name I pray, and amen. Okay, so Acts chapter number two is where we're at. And we were here last week, and we were looking, and of course, Acts chapter two is kind of the the pivot point of the New Testament. This is where things really take a change. And all the time leading up to this through the Gospels, we find Jesus leading the disciples. We find him uh, guiding them almost by the hand, step by step, determining where they're going and what they're doing. And then whenever he is crucified, he takes them all by surprise, even though he's told them multiple times what's going to happen. They never quite picked up on it. They never quite understood because they were looking at things through rose-colored glasses, if you will. They were looking at it, and they were seeing and understanding what Jesus was doing according to their expectations. And I think a lot of times that hinders us in our walk with Christ and with our uh, our day-to-day living because we have a, an expectation, a mindset about what we think things are supposed to be like and how they're supposed to go. And then we try to get Jesus to conform to our expectations. And whenever his plans differ from ours, it confuses us. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened with the disciples is they were ready to take the world by storm with Jesus riding on the white horse. But he came in lowly uh, riding on a donkey instead. Instead of ascending to the throne, he went to the cross. But then he didn't stay dead. He rose the third day victorious. And he says, Uh, I'm going to go to prepare a place for you. And while I'm going, I've got a job for you to do. And so that's what he tells his disciples. And uh, as he ascends up into heaven, tells them to wait for him in Jerusalem. And they were going to receive the promise of the Spirit. They were going to be endued with power from on high. And so they waited in that upper room and they were fearful. They were weak. They were cowering, if you will. Uh, They were in unity. And uh, one thing about it is problems and difficulties and uncertainty does sometimes bring you unity, right? And you look at the things that's going on in Ukraine right now. The people of Ukraine are unified now. 
right? And so whenever troubles and difficulties come, unity comes. And so that's what was going on is they were in the upper room in one mind, one accord, making prayers and all these different things. And they were waiting on the Spirit because, as I said, up until this time, Jesus has been uh, leading them by the hand every step of the way. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes in and he empowers them. There is a change that takes place and there is a different direction that they begin to go in. Up until this time, as I said, they were kind of stumbling along. They were following Jesus uh, the best that they could, but uh, they were lacking a lot. But what they lacked, the Lord made up for with his Holy Spirit. And so we found last week as we were looking at this that we need the Holy Spirit. We need to rely on him that God has uh, gifted every believer, everyone who has been born again, with his Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And it is there for several purposes we looked at last week. Uh, He enlightens us. He clarifies the Word of God. He instructs us. He teaches us. Uh, And we saw in this passage last week that whenever the Holy Spirit came, all of the things that kind of went over the disciples' heads, the things they heard but they never really quite absorbed, the Holy Spirit brought back to remembrance. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit enabled them to stitch together prophecies in the Old Testament that for uh, centuries had confused even the scholars of the people of Israel. The things that they didn't understand, the things that they had misinterpreted, all of a sudden became crystal clear. And so the Holy Spirit was enabling them to understand the Word of God, understand the will of God. And uh, we looked at several other things the Holy Spirit does. He seals us. He transforms us. Uh, He is the... uh, uh, earnest of our inheritance, the down payment. And so we looked at all these things that the Holy Spirit did. And then in contrast last week, we looked at what mankind seems to get hung up on about the Holy Spirit. Whenever the Holy Spirit came, he was ushering in a new era. He was bringing about something different. And with that came signs and wonders. And I didn't mention this last week, but every time the Lord is getting ready to do something big, he would bring about uh, a time of signs and wonders, okay? Uh, We read through the Bible, and we kind of pick up on these little threads, and we feel as if they run all the way through, as if they are supposed to be the the norm. But there's times in Scripture where signs and wonders were very present, okay? Places where they uh, are clearly seen, and we just assume that that continued from beginning to the end of the Old Testament, or even the New Testament, when instead what God did is every time there was something new that he was doing, he would get people's attention, and he would show that it was him that was doing it by the signs and wonders, okay? And so just as a bit of an example there, whenever he was going to be leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, guess what? There were plagues, there were miracles, there was... Uh, miraculous provision. There was all kinds of things that took place. There supernatural experiences that took place uh, during that time because God was doing something big. But then we look through much of the rest of the Old Testament. Uh, that seems to kind of uh, die off or quit for a time, right? Yeah. And then whenever God is getting ready to um, judge the people of Israel and he's getting ready to give them over to enemy lands 
to be in control of them. Whenever he is trying to warn them and show them that he is doing something, guess what? More signs and wonders. You have prophets like Elijah and Elisha Mm -hmm. that came on saying God is getting ready to judge and they didn't listen. Because even of all the prophets that we see, very few of them had miracle working abilities, right? You ever consider that? God would reveal to them as a mouthpiece, but for the most part, they didn't have miracle working abilities. And so as God was getting ready to do something big, something new, to get people's attention, to put his stamp of approval on things, to, uh, the Bible says that the Jews require a sign, to give a sign to the Jewish people that judgment was coming upon them, God would unleash signs and wonders. And we saw that was one of the things that was going on throughout Jesus' ministry, but also on the day of Pentecost, where it was a sign, an evidence, a uh, an attempt to get the attention of the Jews. And so we talked about last week how people look at the Holy Spirit as his main function and his job is to make supernatural things happen, to cause you to speak in tongues or to flop around on the ground and do silly stuff or, you know, Benny Hinn whack you in the forehead and you get hit. That's the kind of things that people try to attribute to the Holy Spirit or try to associate with the Holy Spirit. And what they do is they miss the forest for the trees because the Holy Spirit does things so much greater, so much more important than causing someone to speak in tongues. Right. We look at that because it's miraculous. It's something out of the ordinary, something that is fantastic. And we think, oh, that would be great if we could do that, Right whenever we don't realize what the Holy Spirit actually does do in our lives. And it's evidence here on the day of Pentecost, if we take the the signs and the wonders out of the way and look at the outward workings of what the Holy Spirit did through the apostles and through the disciples that were there on that day. And so today that's what we're wanting to look at in chapter number two, is we're wanting to look at and see uh, what the Holy Spirit did on that day, what he calls to happen on that day. Acts chapter 2, yeah. We're going to be looking and seeing what he calls to happen that day because it sets a precedent, okay? The first time that the Holy Spirit came and began working through the believers, okay? We see what ended up being the result. We see what he put as being uh, the most important and what ended up gaining prominence in that moment. And that's going to set the, the course throughout the entire church age, right? The Holy Spirit didn't come so we could speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit came so that we would be empowered to be witnesses, right? He didn't come so that we could impress people with our abilities. He came so that we could understand the Word of God and that we could be directed in the past that He has laid for us, right? And so do you see how we're kind of uh, getting impressed by the wrong things? We're putting the the focus and the intention on the wrong things. And so that's what I want to look at today is what the Holy Spirit did on that first day and how that guides us as believers and as a church throughout the current age. Okay, So he came and he said, this is what I'm here for. This is what I'm about. This is what is important. Okay, And we see it on that first day. And so as we look here in chapter number two, I suppose we should read some before we go too much further, right? If you remember where we were at last week, they were together in one place, in one accord, 
in the upper room. The Holy Spirit fell. Uh, they heard the sound as a mighty rushing wind, cloven tongues like as, as a fire, and they began to noise abroad. They began to speak abroad and get the attention of many people as they were proclaiming the wonderful works of God to each of the visitors in Jerusalem at that time, where Jerusalem was overflowing with people from all lands, and they were able to proclaim it in everyone's own languages, right? And so Peter stands up before them. They are accusing him of being drunken and everything else. And so in verse number 14 is where we'll begin. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken unto my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing that it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by Joel, the, by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men uh, shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, I'll stop for just a moment here, explain what we just read. As Peter is uh, standing up, he is giving an, uh, he's giving an explanation. Okay, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I don't think Peter stood up to preach. I don't think he stood up with the expectation that people were going to believe. I don't think he was trying to convince anyone of anything. I think what he was doing is he was trying to defend himself and the disciples. Because they said, hey, there's something crazy going on. These guys must be drunk. And Peter says, no, no, it's not drunkenness. All right? He says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is the one that was told about ahead of time of uh, the prophet Joel. And the prophecy that we heard uh, there in Joel was a prophecy of judgment that was to come. It was a forewarning for the people that God was going to release it or unleash his judgment on the world. And that wouldn't be a uh, real pleasant message for the Jews to be hearing at that time, would it? But that's what it was coming down to. And as we go through all this, it gives uh, blood and fire, vapor of smoke, and the moon turned into blood and all these things before uh, the notable day of the Lord come. Okay, that's the Lord's second coming. That's not the rapture of the church, but it's his second coming. That's whenever he comes to rule and to reign, to set all things right. That's what the Jews were looking for, right? And so Peter is making it plain that before that day comes, that God was going to pour out his spirit and there were going to be signs and wonders and miraculous things happen. Okay? And so the Jews were looking for that second coming, and Peter is bringing out this prophet Joel, and he says, wait a minute. You've been looking for his second coming, but it was very clear from the old-time prophecies that there was going to be a first coming, and that there was going to be a period of signs and wonders and judgments and salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's going to be all these things in between before that day you're looking for. And so he says, these things that you're seeing now, uh, of course, that was a partial fulfillment because 
the some of these things that haven't happened yet. They will happen. We read about them in the book of Revelation, right? The moon being turned into blood and the fire and vapor of smoke and all those kind of things, uh, the dreaming dreams and prophesying and all of that. Uh, there was a partial fulfillment that happened at this time, but the rest of it will be fulfilled before that the day of the Lord shall come. And so he tells them here, this is the things that you have been hearing about. These are the things you've been misunderstanding. These are the things that you have been looking for. And these are a sign of a coming judgment. And that's why verse number 21 is so important. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're hearing that the day of the Lord shall come, the time of Jacob's trouble shall come, him coming and setting all things right is going to come, then that brings about fear and responsibility, right? And so he says, God is doing a great work here. You're supposed to be taking note of this and realizing God is at work. This is supposed to be getting your attention so you can be prepared, right? And so this is what he is telling them here. And so down in verse number 22, ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I saw, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be removed. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my, my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. And so in these passages, what we're seeing Peter doing is the simple fisherman right, who never really thought things through, is now empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he is weaving together beautifully the Old Testament prophecies of Jesus. If we continue reading there, I won't for the sake of time, but if we continue reading there, he says it's clear that this was referring to the Messiah because David is dead and in the grave and his body has saw corruption. And so he says it's clear that David was speaking this prophetically, of the Messiah. You were looking for a Messiah that would come and rule and reign. You had all these expectations for him, and you missed all the very plain scriptures that said that the Messiah would first be cut off, that he would be killed, but he wouldn't see corruption, and that he would be resurrected. You saw Jesus before you this entire time as he was ministering and going about teaching and doing signs and wonders and miracles, which shows that he was approved by God, that he was who he said that he was, and yet you still rejected him because he didn't live up to your expectations. And God has fulfilled his prophecies. Jesus has been killed by the Jews that were standing before him. But God did not leave him in the grave that he resurrected him just like he said that he would do. We come down to the end of this. Verse number 36 says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And so he's going down through all of this and he's telling them that God has made it extremely plain 
He's made it very clear through the miracles, the signs, and the resurrection that they were all fully, fully aware of. They had been witnesses to it. They had seen it happen. And God has made it plain that he has approved of Jesus, that he has sent Jesus, that Jesus is the one that fulfills these prophecies. And then Peter points his finger at them and says, you crucified him. The one that, the, that God has made, both Lord and Christ, you crucified. And so as Peter wove all this together, the people who were listening on that day to that message that he preached, all of a sudden realized they had messed up. Like what he's saying really makes sense. Yes, the Bible really does say that. We really did do that. We are guilty. Oh no, what are we going to do? We crucified Jesus. We crucified the Messiah. What are we going to do? And that's what they say in verse 37. Now, when they had heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and unto the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? There was a bit of panic taking place whenever the reality struck them that they were guilty before God, that they had transgressed against God, that they had sinned against God. And they said, we are in trouble because these signs, these wonders show that judgment is coming and we are on the wrong side. Okay. And so Peter's response, Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus. To repent means to have a change of mind. You're on the wrong side, get on the right side. You rejected him before, now accept him, right? And he says, whenever you do that, then you're also going to receive the Holy Spirit as we go down through this. And so as they hear all of this, they are convicted by the Holy Spirit. They are convinced by the word of God. And there is a multitude that are saved. It says there's 3,000 saved that day. And they continue together in one accord and from house to house in the temple, breaking bread and uh, learning of the apostles' doctrine and all these things. And there was added to them daily such as should be saved. And so they were multiplying. They were growing. And this was a huge turnabout from what we find at the very beginning of the book of Acts. This is a huge change in their character and their ability and what... Uh, temperament that they had before, God has transformed them, and he is bringing about what he has told them he wanted them to do. They were supposed to turn the world upside down with the gospel. They were to, supposed to be ambassadors for him. And so now to get this back on track, I kind of went through and explained everything that's went on here, but our purpose and what we're looking at this morning is seeing what was important to the Holy Spirit, what was his priority, what was it that he was making happen whenever he comes. And so let's just look at a few things here in this passage. The first thing I want to bring out in it is that it starts and ends in chapter 2. If you look at the first verses and the last, that the believers are together in one accord. There is unity amongst the believers. There is a common goal, a common direction amongst the believers. And that is one of the main things I believe that facilitate this outside of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cannot work through a disunified body, right? And so there is a unity amongst the people, and it doesn't mean that they were all just alike, that they were cookie cutters. We've talked about in the past that unity is not uniformity. But yeah, That's also shoots straight to somebody rather than... Yeah. You know what I mean? 
Definitely. And so with this, we've got the disciples are all together. They've got these things that's going on. And they're trying to figure out how to go forward. They're trying to figure out uh, what direction to go. They're trying to figure out uh, how to accomplish the task that God has given them to do, right? And so that is a unifying factor because they are seeking to please the Lord. They are seeking to do what God would have them to do. They were trying to figure out how to fulfill the commission that's been left for them, right? And so that has unified them. They have a single purpose, a singular focus. And I believe in Christianity today, in churches today, uh, we get our focus in all different directions. Everyone is going in different directions. Everyone's got different priorities, different things going on. And so with that, there is a disunity. There is a uh, diversity of purpose and of direction. We all have lives to live. We all have families to provide, for jobs to work. I'm not saying that we, we quit all those things and we just come together and we sit at church and read the Bible and, and that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm saying, okay? But they had unity of purpose. Their heart was toward God. They were craving him, they were desiring him, and they wanted to do the work that he had for them to do, okay? And so this love of God, this desire to please him, bonded them together. And let's turn to John chapter number 13. John chapter 13, and let's look, look down at verse number 34. Let's go ahead and look at verse 31. I'll back up just a little bit for context. Therefore, when he was going out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto you, the Jews whither I go, as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come, so now I say unto you. So the context for what he's getting ready to say is, I'm not going to be here for long. I'm getting ready to leave. You're going to be here without me. So what is important whenever he leaves? What's going to be something that they need to guard and protect and make sure is uh, in effect there? Uh, verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So he's looking at his disciples, the, the seed, if you will, of the church, the beginning, the foundation, the Bible calls it. And he says this is going to be the the key aspect. Whenever I am gone, it's not going to be the soundness of your doctrine. It's not going to be the strictness of your standards, but it's going to be the love that you have one for another that is going to be what resonates the most with the lost, with the unbelievers. That all men are going to know that you belong to me by the love that you have one for another. Now, I believe that's greatly lacking in Today's world, isn't it? The church is known more for the things that they are against 
than for their love, right? They're no more for the things that they uh, hate than what the, the people that they love, right? And so there is to be a love one for another between the believers. Uh, Jesus says that we are his body and we are to function as he did and care for one another as he cared for them, right? Right before Jesus died, he went and he washed the disciples' feet, including Judas. I realize that? And he says, as you see me do, do you likewise. Does that mean that we need to have foot washing service? To have kick off his shoes and we wash his stinky feet? I don't know if his feet stink. <laughs> but he says, you desire to be great. You desire to excel and exceed. And here I am, Jesus, the one who is greater than all. And I have humbled myself and I've came and been a servant. He says, do you likewise, right? And so it was that desire to be uh, caring for one another, loving one another, right? And so as we look at this passage in Acts chapter number 2, they are concerned for one another's well-being. They are together. They have all things in common. They are not looking out for number one. They are looking out for one another. We come to the end of the chapter, and it says that the disciples and all of the believers there in Jerusalem uh, are caring for one another. It says that they sell all and have all things common. Now, that was an experiment they had for a while. It doesn't mean that we sell everything we have and we have a common pot. Okay, That was something that was never commanded or ordered by uh by the Lord, it's not something in Scripture, so don't worry. I'm not going to tell you. you got to sell your stuff and give it to me. Okay? okay but just one thing, right? Yeah, go ahead. Having love for each other, the whole lot, right? I get that. Doesn't mean we always have to agree with each other. When they, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, yep. And sometimes, if you're going to, if you love somebody, you're going to say it as it is. Yeah. You're not going to beat around the bush. Mm-hmm. You know? So, I, I find a lot of churches... Uh, we we've come out of a lot of them mm-hmm. where people are like, oh, how are doing? And it's all like, oh, fluffy up front. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But behind your back, it's, you know, yeah. it's all surface. Yeah, that's not love. And that's hypocrisy, fake. yeah. Um, and it's fake, mm-hmm. you know? Just sort of bring it out. Yeah, and that's the thing is you can't put on love. You can't pretend it. You can't fake it. Yeah. I mean, you can attempt to. But whenever the Bible says that we are to love one another, that doesn't mean that I, okay, there's so-and-so in the church that's not very lovable, but I'm going to love them in spite of them. It's That love has to be manufactured by the Holy Spirit within us. It's got to be a fruit of the Spirit. It's got, because honestly, I'm not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Not everybody's going to love me. Some of the time it's going to take a lot of work of the Holy Spirit for you to love me. Okay, And if you're honest, you'll be the same way, right? And so it's not just that, you know, all this uh, mushy-gushy love type stuff, but love does care for one another. And it does tell us in the Bible, faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? If we love one another, we'll hurt each other once in a while. If we love one another, we're going to have to have uh, difficult conversations. We'll have to say things that maybe we don't want to have to say, but we love one another, right? Just as a goofy illustration, I love my wife. She comes out, she has on an outfit, and she asks my opinion. Okay? Now, this all depends on your relationship with your wife, so you all be careful with this one. But my wife, when she married me, she knew that I shot straight with her and that I was going to tell her like it was. So if she comes out and what she's got on doesn't look good, she knows I'm going to be honest with her. 
There's occasionally whenever I'm trying to be a little extra careful about it, and I'm like, do you want the truth? Yes, I want the truth. Okay, yeah, that doesn't look good. Okay? Like, well, I ask. Okay. You've got to know your wife, by the way. Not all, not everyone can get away with that. Sometimes you just have to say, yes, yes, that looks good, even if it doesn't. But anyway, that's just being a, a kind of a goofy illustration there. But the thing is, we love one another. We care about one another. Uh, we... We might have to have hard conversations and that kind of thing. So it doesn't mean that we just join hands and sing kumbaya and everything's fuzzy and lovey and, you know, all that. But love a lot of times is messy. Anyone who's been married any length of time knows that, right? And I'm not saying that as a church we're married to each other. But I'm just using love as a, a marriage as an illustration of that love, right? And so whenever we have love for one another, we should have that. But also then we also shouldn't maybe slander or backbite or any of those either. You know what I mean? So there's mm-hmm. a fine line. You know what I mean? Yeah, you need to be honest with the person's face, not tell all their flaws behind their back, right? <laughs> yeah, but I mean like um, you can't be um, aggressive and you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The other way than yeah, thinking, straight, but, but, but not being a model and ask. Yeah. Yeah. The standard is like even in your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And really, it's a it's a tall order to live up to, and none of us are going to do it perfectly. But we do find that it is a priority, right? We find that it's something that we should desire, something that we should seek for the Lord to cultivate in us. We do find that it is a fruit of the Spirit, right? And so, with that, it means that we need to be first and foremost. We need to be saved. We need to be seeking Him, allowing Him to cultivate that and work that up in us because we are never going to be able to do it ourselves. We're never going to be able to work it up ourselves. Now, as a side note on this, even in marriage relationships, okay, a lot of the reasons why they don't work out is because we're expecting the other person to do what we want them to do and try to earn our love or deserve our love when in reality, love is something that the Holy Spirit and that God has to give in us for that person and enable us to love them the way that Christ loved his church, right? It is a work of God in the hearts of the individual so that they can love that person in the right way. Because what the way that the world portrays love today, it is I love them as long as they're pleasant to me, as long as I enjoy their company, as long and it's a selfishness. It's not a love at all, right? Because love is, yeah, I enjoy being around that person. I like that person. That person makes me feel good, so that means I love them. No, that's not love at all, is it? Love is, I see that person struggling. I see them hurting. They're in a mess right now. How can I help them? Right? Yes, they're flawed, but I'm going to join with them in their flaws, and I'm going to walk through them or walk through the troubles with them, even if it's not fun, even if sometimes it's messy, even though there's troubles along the way. And that is where love, because love gives. And I always point back to John 3, 16 as the ultimate example. For God so loved the world that he gave. Right? Love gives. Love doesn't take. If your love is the love that only takes, it's not love. And that's the way that the world sees things, is I love this person because they make me feel good. I love this person because of what I get from them. That's not. It's transactional, really. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good word for it. It is transactional. 
I'm going to be married to this person as long as I feel good. You know, whenever people say they fell out of love, I know I'm off on a rabbit trail. When people say they fell out of love, you know what it is? It's no longer fun. The fling is over. Right? Love is a choice. It is an action. It is a decision. Right? And it's something that has to be decided upon and determined before time. And it's something that has to weather the storms. Because otherwise, if it can't withstand the storms, if it can't withstand the trouble, if there is a time of coldness or difficulty and it wanes and you fell out of love, it wasn't love. Love isn't a mud hole. You don't fall in it and fall out of it, okay? But anyway, that's all free. Back to the church. Back to the church. We, we look at this as well. Love is a decision we make. We look at the people around us and say, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm going to choose to love them, warts and all, right? And it goes both ways because if I love someone, then I'm going to be able to uh, seek their edification as they are seeking mine, Right? And not in that transactional way, not in that selfish way, but we are looking out for one another's needs. The Bible says to bear one another's burdens, right? That is love working outward, isn't it? And so as we come back to Acts, I know I'm getting sidetracked quite a bit here. We come back to Acts chapter number two. They are all together with all things in common, together in one accord. And the second thing I want to bring out with this is that whenever the Holy Spirit came and they were filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit was working in and out of their lives. It got the attention of all of the people in the city, right? We look for ways. We want to be a light. We want to be a witness. We pray about that quite frequently, right? But the best ways for us to do that is in our love that we have for one another, how we treat one another, how we fellowship with one another. That's one reason why that's so much under attack in Christianity and in churches today. Why is there so much backbiting, as Kev said? Why is there so much... Uh, fighting and troubles going on within church because the Lord said that was going to be the the sign to the rest of the world that they belong to him was the opposite of that. So if Satan can spoil what is supposed to get the attention of the lost and get negative attention of the lost, then it's going to kind of deconstruct the entire process, isn't it? And so if the lost are looking at the church and all of the mess that it's in and how badly church people treat one another, they're going to say, I want nothing to do with that. But if we're loving and caring for one another, taking care of one another, and it is a vibrant and living community where people are getting uh, healing and restoration and being strengthened and encouraged, and there is a bond there, they're going to look at that and say, that's like nothing else on this planet. How do I get to be a part of that, right? There's a huge difference there. But... As I was saying, whenever they were spirit-led and spirit-filled, yes, they were speaking in tongues, okay? That was something that happened at that time. They didn't have a long history. They didn't have all of the things that we have today. This was the beginning of it. This was like the push to get it started, okay? But the evidence of the Holy Spirit's working in them got the attention of the people around them. So how does that play out in our lives today? If the Holy Spirit is in your life, if you are allowing him to have his way, if you are yielding to him and he is producing the fruit of the Spirit in your life, 
the people around you are going to take notice of it, right? Because the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh are so polar opposite that the rest of this world are going to say, there's something weird about that guy. There's something different about that bunch. And we see in the results here that as people were looking at the fruit of the Spirit in the lives of the disciples, they said there's something going on here. We want to look into it more. And so for some, it made them curious. And for others, it caused them to ridicule. And do you think we'll get the same results today? If you live for the Lord, if you allow the Holy Spirit to do work in your life, if you allow him to change and to transform you, if your uh, affections and your desires are in line with the things of God, you are going to be different. You're going to stick out. And for some, it's going to draw them to the Lord. For others, you're going to be drawing their criticism and their ridicule. But that's what happened back then, right? Even for Jesus, there were some that came and followed after him and they said, this guy, we never heard anyone speak like he speaks. We never saw anyone do the things that he does. We want to yoke up with him. We want to join up with him. And then others said, we want to crucify him. Right? But it was the Holy Spirit that was working in their lives here. The third thing that I bring out in this is that all that was said and done that day were to the glory of God and for the salvation of the lost. Right? Their priority on that day, the Holy Spirit's priority on that day, wasn't to uh, start some kind of an organization. It wasn't to build great ministries. It wasn't to reform society. It wasn't to go through all these different things that we tend to get sidetracked and distracted by today uh, as Christians. Instead, the Holy Spirit's sole focus there was the glory of God and the salvation of lost souls. Right? And so everything that is said and done throughout this entire passage, what I read and what I didn't, is to get men's attention, for them to hear the things of God, for them to understand it, to, for them to see the need that they have, and for them to come to Christ. Okay? And we see this emphasized all throughout Scripture if we realize that the gospel is central to all that we do personally and all we do corporately, it will transform the way that we function. It will transform the things that we do, right? And by the gospel, I simply mean that Jesus Christ came to do in us and through us what we can't do ourselves. Is that a pretty accurate, pretty simple explanation of the gospel? Because a lot of times with the gospel, we, we limit it just to salvation. The gospel goes beyond salvation. We couldn't save ourselves. We have to turn to Jesus to do it. We can't live the Christian lives ourselves. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, must do it through us, right? So it's the gospel from beginning to end. And so even as a church here, we look at this and we say, we can't uh, make a difference in the community of Longford. We can't transform the lives of anyone. We can't save a single soul, but if we submit our lives to him, if we offer up ourselves, we yield ourselves to him, he can do it through us, right? And is that not what happened on the day of Pentecost 
whenever they were in the upper room, they said, what do we do? They're wringing their hands. They're trying to figure it out. I would love to hear, hear or have a transcript of the conversations that happened in those 10 days between the Lord's ascension and the Holy Spirit coming down. I'd love to hear what all they were discussing. They were probably making plans. They were probably trying to figure it out. They were saying, okay, this is what the Lord told us to do. While we're waiting, we can't just sit here. So how are we going to go about telling everybody about what just happened? How are we going to get this out? How are we going to get anyone to listen to us? How is anyone ever going to believe us? Maybe they had diagrams. Maybe they had flow charts. Mission statement, right? And then whenever the Holy Spirit came down, he empowered them. He took over, and he used them in a mighty way. And the results were far greater and far surpassing anything they could have ever imagined, right? And so for us as Christians, we say, how can I overcome this? How can I fix this? How can we as a church have an impact? How can?" And we have so many different questions when in reality, the first and foremost we need to realize is without him, we can do nothing. And with him, all things are possible. Okay, that's first and foremost. Second thing we have to realize is Jesus isn't that concerned about a lot of the rubbish that we are. Sound a little bit harsh? What are the things that we get distracted by? What are the things that we focus on as Christians that we think are so important or things that we have to do or things that... <laughs> yeah, that's been a, a priority for a lot of people. That is important, but you don't want to freeze to death. But. Going to church. Okay. If we're just going to church out of necessity because it's something we have to do, then we've missed the mark. We've forgotten. If we're going to church because uh, I want to be around fellow believers, I want to hear the word of God proclaimed, I need... Uh, spiritual food, I need this to grow in my relationship with God, then that becomes a whole different ballgame, right? But if you go to church just for the sake of going to church, you've got the wrong motivation, you've got the wrong reason behind it, right? Rather than going to please men and do your duty, you're saying, okay, I want to do this for the glory of God for my spiritual growth, my spiritual health, and it transforms it all, right? Okay. I think about, maybe this comes from me, me being involved in American Christianity. There is so much extra complicated things that becomes prioritized within church, within Christianity. So many extra uh, events and organizations and ministries and outreaches and all of these different things that really don't serve anything within our major purpose as Christians. A lot of times they they entertain folks. They, they might cause people to... Uh, they may... Uh, how do I say this? I don't know. Anyway... Yeah. Yeah, it turns, yeah, it turns the church into entertainment rather than actually seeking to glorify God or to win lost souls. It's, we just need to fill pews, right? Quite a lot of churches in South Africa are like that as well, not just in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we also get it. It's not a show. 
Battle show, yeah. And then they justify it and say, well, we're just trying to get people to come out. We're just trying to get people to hear, right? But what was it on the day of Pentecost that got people to come out and got people to hear? It was people who had been near God, who had been saved, who had something worth telling, and they had a need that needed to be met, right? The Holy Spirit came down, yeah. Uh, I forget who it was. Some Someone from centuries ago said that uh, if, you get, if you get on fire for the Lord, they'll come to watch you burn. Yeah. Right? And so that's what was going on here. And as we look at um, what they were saying and doing on that day, they proclaimed the works of God. That's a testimony. They were going and noising abroad, look at what God has done for us, right? They were also proclaiming the word of God. This is as Peter was going through and tying together these prophecies, and taking the Bible and preaching it. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the spirit is needed. Our testimonies are valuable. The word of God is central, right? We see that they were proclaiming the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus for the salvation of souls, right? And that's what Jesus, or excuse me, that's what Peter was saying as he went down through this. He said, this same Jesus that you saw working the miracles and doing all of these things, you crucified him, you saw the grave he was buried in, but he didn't stay buried, he resurrected. Many of the people who were there had seen him. He was seen of above 500 at one time, in his resurrected state. He said, you've seen the evidence, you've seen the proof. And so he was, he died, buried, was resurrected. We saw that also they proclaimed man's rejection and their guilt. Okay? A person doesn't get saved unless they first get lost. Right? And so as he was preaching this and teaching this, the effect that was desired is the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon them. The effect that was desired was that they would realize that they needed Christ. And that's one of the hard things that we have today, and that's one of the reasons why we need to be even that much more dependent on the Holy Spirit, is most of the people that we are around on a daily basis do not realize that they are lost and in need of a Savior. They look at the world that they live in and they are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, right? Life is good. Why do we need help, right? Or they are extremely religious, and they say, we've got this under control. The church that we go to says that as long as we do this and we do that, then we're okay. And so we're fine with God. We, we, we're okay with all these things. And they don't realize that they need a Savior, and so as we are proclaiming the wonderful works of God, telling people about what God has done in our life, telling about uh, the Word of God and what it says about their need, about their condition before God, telling them about what Jesus has done for them and how they have went their own way or they have went the way of religion or humanism or whatever it is, and instead of going after Christ, instead of desiring Him, 
They have desired so many other things. They have rebelled and rejected him, and they need to turn back to him, right? So that was the last thing that they proclaimed here was repentance. Uh, from rejection to belief as the only hope for sinners. And so as we're looking at this passage, the Holy Spirit came not so that they could speak in tongues, not so they could put on a show, not so that uh, Peter would be elevated and would be a great, powerful preacher that day, but instead the Holy Spirit came to allow Christians to live the Christian life, for them to love one another, for them to walk in the ways of the Lord before a lost and dying world so that they would be able to have the opportunities to proclaim the wonderful works of God to the people who need to hear about it so that the lost in this world can realize their condition and that they would turn to Christ, that they would repent, that they would believe, and that they would be converted, they would be saved, right? And so as we look at all of this, the, the main takeaway, the main point that I want us to get is God's desire is for everyone to hear the gospel. God's desire is for people to be born again, for people to be saved. He wants to transform our lives. He wants us to be conformed to his image. And in doing so, it's going to be a witness to this world. But that should be our focus. That should be our uniting thing is a love for one another, a love for lost souls, and a desire to see God glorified and people saved. Anything outside of that is complicating Christianity. Anything outside of that is trying to make it harder than it has to be. Right? And it has to start from within. It has to start with the Spirit of God and Him working outward in our lives. So with that all being said, in what areas do we as Christians today and do churches of today deviate from this? In what ways do we miss the mark? That too broad of a question. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one. Okay. They're good at planning a load of fluff, like what I call fluff. Mm -hmm. For instance, take six, seven months for a Christmas program, everyone mm -hmm. needs to sing, and then we're going to sing at the end of the year, and then maybe two people come to the whole thing, mm -hmm. and most of them are actually other Christians, so we're really just singing to each other. So I'm just, I'm just saying for the amount of effort that it takes, mm -hmm. you know, I think Satan is, is, is having a great laugh keeping people busy. Yeah. He, Busyness he, of things that's unimportant. Yeah. Yeah. But through a load of plans. Well, I mean? and, and that plays into what I was saying there earlier with uh, churches in the States is that they'll have so many things going on, so many irons in the fire, if you will. They'll have this outreach and this ministry, and they'll do this and do that, and keep everyone incredibly busy doing things for the church that they're not actually having any time to go out into the world, into the actual mission field, and do anything, right? That's what I'm saying, yeah. And so 
for us as Christians, we have to be going out. We have we can't do everything in the church house. We have to actually be living our lives out amongst the world so they can see the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, right? So yeah, very valid point in that. So we're prioritizing a lot of the wrong things, right? Another thing that I believe we're missing out on greatly today is that we are trying to manufacture the work of the Spirit instead of allow the Spirit to do things in His own time and His own way. Right? Trying to Mm-hmm. In what ways? I'm not saying in this church, I'm saying... Yeah, but I'm... Yeah, in general, what, what ways can we have? Like what we were talking about is the outward appearance of men and not, uh, not the mm-hmm. working of the Holy Spirit at all. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, in what you were saying, all the gibberish uh, tongues and all of that, mm-hmm. that type of stuff, the signs and the wonders and the miracles and the, and the cons- they concentrate so much on that that mm-hmm. they actually miss who the Holy Spirit really is. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Why do you think they concentrate so much on those kind of things? Makes them feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Self, self. Makes them feel good. It, it yeah. plays into their pride, right? Yeah. And we see that happening in what we talked about last week with the, the church at Corinth, right? They wanted all the flashy, showy gifts and things so that people would look at them and say, look how spiritual they are, right? I'll tell you, I think some of the most spiritual people that uh, there are in the world today are the ones that no one even knows. The ones that are behind the scenes. It's not the ones up on the platforms or the stages. It's not the ones that's holding positions. It's the ones who are faithfully seeking after God and allowing Him to do a work in their lives. And I'd say that uh, whenever the day comes, whenever (laughs) rewards are being given out, there's going to be a lot of unknowns that are going to have many rewards because they kept their focus at the right place. They said, how can I be more like Jesus? How can He work through me? How can He use me in this world? And they're doing it by being the Lord's hands and feet. And a lot of these people that are expecting uh, truckloads of rewards because they were up on a stage and wrote sermons and preached messages or sung songs or whatnot, they're going to turn away empty because they had their reward. They were doing it for the way it made them feel or for the applause of men and for all of these things, right? But that is being serious, sort of like the same Mm -hmm. rule that... that the Lord is not going to, is not worried about those things. Mm-hmm. Like we as people stay focused on mm-hmm. things the whole time. With yeah. those who are quiet, you mm-hmm. know, you won't even know, like you said. Yeah. And I think that's what we as Christians fail at a lot. I was listening to a preacher yesterday, and he was talking about a, a lady that had just passed away. And in their church, she had worked in the nursery for 40 years. Mm-hmm. 40 years, and he said that there probably wasn't a person on the East Coast of the United States whose nappy she hadn't changed. (laughs) Okay? And that was where she served the Lord. That was what she did. And there were multitudes of kids that had been loved and cared for by her 
in the nursery so that their parents could be in church and listening to the, the, the Word of God being proclaimed. And who knows what results, what fruit she had of the things that she did. And we look at that and say, well, that's, that's not flashy. That's not anything great. But what is she doing? She is being used of God. She has gifts and abilities given to her by the Holy Spirit, and she is using those for God's glory. And her name's never going to be up in lights. No one's ever going to know it. But God knows it, right? So there is a difference there. And so, uh, for one thing, the love of God was shed abroad in her heart, right? It was being showed to the people that was around her, and it was manifesting itself in the work that she was doing, right? And so that's what God desires for us to be. If the Holy Spirit's indwelling us, he's able to equip us, he's able to guide us, he's able to plug us into a place where he would have us to, to be serving and for us to be going. We realize here that Peter, as he spoke on that day, I said at the very beginning, he didn't set out to preach the message. He was a conduit, he was a vessel for the Lord to use. But on that day, there was 120 other people we know nothing about them and what they accomplished on that day, but God gave to them exactly what they needed on that day, and he used them in a mighty way, and there are fruits for their labor to this day. We can't give Peter all the credit, can we? And I'd say there were people there that even uh, in the grand scheme of things were much more spiritually successful than what Peter was. He was just the one that was visible. Right. Yeah. The complaint for those 40 years. She saw it as serving the whole time and something that she enjoyed to do. Uh, maybe so, but she was a human. I'd say there was a day she got tired of it. <laughs> yeah, but we all do that, you know. Yeah. But we all can give up too easily, mm-hmm. of course, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's the thing is that whenever we are looking at what it means to be the church, whenever we're looking at what it means to serve the Lord, uh, it's not where we often put it at. And so we surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We allow Him to work in our lives. We desire to please the Lord, to be a witness for Him, because that's what He's left us here to do, be witnesses of me, right? Be a witness to Him, or of Him, and allow Him to work in and through us in this world which we live in. There are some that's going to be curious. They're going to come and ask questions. There are some that are going to mock, and they're going to ridicule because it's strange. But either way about it, we are to be reflecting Christ. We're to be allowing the Holy Spirit to do what only He can do. And as has been said several times, we're to do it genuinely. Yes. Don't, uh, uh, don't pretend to be above that which you are. Mm-hmm. So another problem that you find sometimes is in, in certain churches, like there'll be a clique. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. This one and that one, they stick together. And they mm-hmm. don't involve anyone else in the church. Mm-hmm. And in this one, that one will stick together, you know what I mean? They don't. Yeah. So, disunity. Is, exactly. And so eventually, what happens is people are like, okay, well, you want to stick together, happy days, carry on, do your thing. You know what I mean? I'm not bothered. Right. Know? And they just withdraw. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not supposed to be that way. It's not supposed to be that way. And so we we need to fight against that. We need to make sure because the devil will drive a wedge any way he can. Sometimes through uh, unmet expectations. Sometimes through uh, misunderstandings. Sometimes through just 
many different things, you know. And we know what it's like. And so we need to, that's why it says that we're to uh, endeavor to keep the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. Yeah. I believe that's the, the, uh, what the passage says. And so these are the things that we need to be guarding. We need to make sure that the spirit is the one that's leading. We need to be seeking for him to be in control. We need to be making sure that the word of God and the gospel is a priority, that it is what's out front, that the salvation and the growth of individuals is our concern, right? That we're seeking to get done. And so that's that's the things that we see in this passage, the things that were important. A lot of the other stuff is just fluff. It's just uh, added, added rubbish, I guess I could say. That need not to be there, right? No, but we also, as Christians, now and then, we do take God for granted as well. Like, yes. You know, mm-hmm. you have a bad day or a bad moment or you're holding on to some bad feelings that you won't let go or you won't accept or, you mm-hmm. know, grow up and let it go. Mm-hmm. You're just, you know, you're just letting it happen and reality's kicking in and the devil's just laughing at you because you won't just give up and just say, look, it's all good. Mm-hmm. You're holding on to that resentment, that envy, that whatever it is, mm-hmm. just because of your own ego. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's not God's problem. That's your problem. Yeah. Well, and you bring but up a very good point there with the, the, the idea of ego is that the devil uses our pride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what ego is, is pride. Yeah, it puts a bitter taste in your mouth mm-hmm. and it's hard to get rid of, mm-hmm. which is silly. But then, you know, as Christians, we can... Take off granted and things like you had a bad day at work or you're having a bad moment in your relationship or mm-hmm. you said something you shouldn't have said or whatever it is. But then at, at how many of those bad days at the end of the day do you say, you know, you thank God for at least, you know, you're there, you're breathing. Tomorrow will be a good day. But you don't. You only thank Him on the good days. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Or you get a new job or a new opportunity. That's only when you thank Him. Yeah. But when you lose a big job, you know, it's for a reason. He's... Yeah, something bigger lined up for yeah. you. You know, that's yeah. And not even just the thinking, but whenever whenever we're going through those, how often do we seek his help and his guidance through the situations? Mm-hmm. Whenever we are struggling, do we we do we realize that he never leaves us or forsakes us, that he hears every prayer that we pray, and we can go to him and say, God, help me in this time, help me in this situation. I'm having trouble with this, I'm struggling, I don't feel very saved right now. I don't mm-hmm. I'm definitely not happy right now. Lord, help me with this. And instead, we try to put on the, the Christian face and say, I've got this all under control. Yeah, I got the joy, joy, joy somewhere. <laughs> but not really. And, you know, and we go through it and we say, okay, well, I'm going to thank God for everything. Oh, thank you. I'm not really actually thankful. And it's it's fake, right? Yeah. But what often happens is it's all those little things. The Bible says it's the little foxes that spoil the vines, right? Yeah. And we get just like a little splinter. You know, just something small comes, and we have that little splinter in our finger, yeah. metaphorically speaking, okay? A little splinter in our finger, and we sit there, and we pick at it, and we play with it, never actually get it out of there, and it starts to fester, and it starts to get infected, and it begins to rot, right? Realize you leave a splinter long enough, if you don't get rid of that thing, you could lose a finger, you could lose an arm, step to a sudden, you could die from a splinter. There's been people who've had it done. And we do that as Christians. We let something little sit there and fester and get worse and worse and worse rather than taking care of it. Right. And that's where we go to the Lord and we seek his help and his strength and say, God, I know I'm not supposed to feel this way, but I do. Yeah. Lord, help me with this. 
Can we be real with him, right? Lord, help me with this. I know this isn't how a Christian is supposed to feel or a Christian is supposed to act, but I'm not there yet. Help me through this. And we, we work through these things and we work on these things and even difficulties amongst one another. Whenever that splendor is there, sometimes we have to go and in order to get that splinter out, we've got to go to someone and deal with it, right? Mm-hmm. So that comes back to the idea of the unity and the love for one another, right? All good thoughts on that. So whenever we consider the work of the church and the Holy Spirit and what He does, it's it's not as big and as weird and as difficult as we often make it out to be. Love God, love each other, and seek to be a light and a witness for the lost, right? We are growing. We are going to stumble. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to do stupid stuff. You know, we're looking at Peter here now as he's standing and proclaiming the gospel and thousands are getting saved. Do you realize that Peter doesn't stay propped up that far for very long? That he's going to make mistakes and he's going to fall flat on his face again. Yeah. And we're going to do the same thing. And it's a process. And God works through us and in us and in spite of us. That's something I often pray is, Lord, work in spite of me. I know my limitations. I know my failures. Lord, work in spite of me. Anything else? Um, perhaps, you know, some churches that can be... <laughs> divisions in normal society, you know, ethnicity, culture, country of origin, whatever, you know, language, mm-hmm. these kind of things as well, sometimes the churches that can divide people or prevent them from fully understanding one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it just takes us having, taking the time and having the patience to try to understand one another. Yeah. And that's something that's been huge just with coming here for me. Because the area that we come from, there is no diversity. (laughs) There is no diversity, okay? And so we come here and we've got people from multiple different countries and cultures. And so they're going to think different. They're going to process things different. There's going to be, uh, you know, these different personalities and aspects because of it. And so I've enjoyed learning these things and trying to figure out these things and as, as clumsily as I do. And that's, I believe that's what we need to be doing is understanding that we are going to be different, right? That there are going to be people who have different personalities, different preferences, uh, different ways of thinking and doing things, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's where I always emphasize that there's a difference between unity and uniformity, right? And uh, just for instance, and I, I, I need to quit, but anyway, just for instance, I'm not into, into sports and don't know that much about it, but... On any football pitch, that team is made up of many different individuals, right? Each of them play a different part. Every one of them has a different position with within that team, right? And they all work together in unity doing different things to bring about one goal, right? And if every single person was performing the same task on a football pitch, wouldn't that be chaotic? It'd be horrible, wouldn't it? But to play, to play a, a good game on the pitch, everyone do need to 
know each other, we had contact five, ten years, mm-hmm. trying to work each other out, eh? mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And I've been trying to work you out now for seven years. Like, <laughs> I just, I just can't, like. Well, Liza's been doing it for 18, and she's not any better off, I don't think. <laughs> just one year, like, I you up. Like I said, Liza's been trying to work me out for over 18, well, about 20 years now, and she still hasn't got me figured out. <laughs> but yeah, that's where being together in one place, that's where... Uh, we can grow from one another and grow in one another and all these different things so that we can work together, accomplish the things that God has set us here for, right? Yeah, but if we're using the, like the team analogy, then that just means that everyone that's on the team has to know that if there's an issue, then it's time to have the hard conversation. Right. Do it, get it over with, and move on. Yeah. You know, don't hold on or linger on it or... Around a smile just because you don't want to hurt someone's feelings. Yeah. Like, right. If you hurt someone's feelings, flipping out like it's life. Yeah. Get over it. See, that's where you need that's Enjoy. where you need like American American football or rugby, you just tackle them and get it everywhere. Well no, rugby <laughs> 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 Yeah. The rugby boys are different though, right? Put your helmet on. Okay, anyway. Okay. Good conversation. So let's go ahead and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture that we've been in and how we see the Holy Spirit working and how uh, the church was empowered and was effective, uh, not because of a lot of the things that we usually emphasize, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be biblically minded. Help us, Lord, to be uh, back to the basics and simple, doing things your way. And Lord, I just pray, help us to have unity. Help us, Lord, to be uh, having the the right priorities, the right things guiding and directing us, Lord. Help us ultimately to be allowing you to be in charge and you to take the lead, Lord, for without you we can do nothing. And Lord, I just pray that you do what's needed in the hearts and lives of each person here today. All these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.